Well, good morning, everyone. For our guest, my name's Anton. I'm Senior Minister here. Hello, if you're tuning in on, uh, if you're away this weekend, great to have you on the live stream. Uh, one thing that I, uh, that I do through my week is teach school scripture, uh, just at the local school. And in our scripture classes at the moment, we are going through various stories in the Old Testament of the Bible. And because the Bible is the, the whole Bible is God's word, it's always amazing to see how each Old Testament story points forward to the New Testament, to the life of Jesus and the life of the church, even though they, they were written hundreds or even thousands of years earlier. But very few of the Old Testament stories get as much coverage in the New Testament as, uh, as this one. Uh, in the New Testament, one and a half chapters is devoted to one event in Israel's history. It's in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, and here's part of what it says about it. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful or unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So this bit is part of the stern warning that comes in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews in the New Testament. Not to give in to unbelief, not to rebel against God. Make sure you're listening to his voice so that you won't miss out on the promised rest. And this is a word for today. We're to encourage one another daily. Today we are to hear his voice. So this is a message for us today. And so what is the event that this is referencing? What event is so significant that we have one and a half chapters written about it in the New Testament. We have Psalms written about it in the Old Testament so that we can be warned and encouraged. Well, it's a, it's a, it's an account from Numbers that we don't, which may not be too familiar with us because it's in the book of Numbers. But it's a significant part, a significant moment in Israel's history and therefore in the story of God and his people. And so, Let me pray that we will hear God's voice today. Heavenly Father, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so may we hear your voice today as we study your word, and may it pierce our hearts so that we won't leave here unchanged, but strengthened in faith and deeper in our devotion to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Well, to understand uh, the events that have just been read for us, let's remind ourselves where we have come in the book of Numbers and before. God's people started off as slaves in Egypt. We looked a couple of years ago at the book of Exodus under harsh labor, uh, forced labor, uh, cried out to God to be rescued. And God, in his compassion, answered them, rescued them, brought them out of Egypt, through the desert, gave them their law. And now at this point in the book of Numbers, 
They, uh, they're on the verge of the promised land. They have arrived from slaves to now about to enter the inheritance that was promised to them. All of Numbers has been leading up to this point. Remember the census, you know, the numbers that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they were counting the fighting men, so that now the fighting men are ready to go out and fight and conquer the land. Uh, they remember the, uh, all the tribes were arranged in formation around the tent of meeting. That is the formation that they're to march into the promised land. They're ready for conquest. They're ready to count God's blessings. But here's where we're going in our chapters today. And so on the verge of the promised land, just as they're about to go in, God gives them this instruction. Uh, from Numbers, so if you've got your Bible open, start of uh, chapter 13 of Numbers. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So God is saying, I'm about to give you this land. It's a done deal. Send some men and go check it out. It's a bit like Year 7 Orientation Day. Uh, you know, next year, this whole school will be yours. As instead, it's for the land. And so 12 men are chosen from each of the tribes of Israel. And Moses tells the explorers, they're kind of traditionally known as spies because they go and uh, see what's there. Uh, this is what Moses uh, says to them. It says, See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Remember, they had been wandering through a desert uh, for, for months. And so what is this new land going to be like? And bring back some fruit. Remember, fruit... All they've been having is manna and quail. Well, that's what they did. The spies went through the promised land, the land of Canaan. And after 40 days, they returned, not empty-handed, but with grapes and pomegranates and figs. Amazing. Imagine the day when the spies returned. You know, you've been camping around the tabernacle for 40 days, waiting for the 12 to come back. Then you see them over the crest of the hill. Surely they would have been a, have a hero's welcome when they came back into camp. Everyone would have crowded round to hear their report. And they say, well, we've got good news and bad news. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Imagine the cheer that went up at that point. But, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. So the land is amazing. But it's filled with powerful people. The Anakites are known for their height and their 
with being mighty warriors. The cities are big and walled. They're well protected. How will they ever conquer this land? Well, uproar broke out in the assembly. But one of the spies had a different take. Have a look at verse 30. It said, Then Caleb silenced the people, obviously being very rowdy, silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Not all the explorers were worried. Caleb was up for the task. He was confident they could complete God's mission. How brave must he have been to stand up as the descending vo- dissenting voice, to stand up against the others? But in reply, 31, the men had, who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had experienced. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to go. So the Israelites had a dilemma. Who will they listen to? The majority of the explorers are saying, no, it's too dangerous. It's too hard. We'll lose. Caleb was saying, we should do this. We certainly can do this. So what will Israel do? Well, their response will dictate this entire generation's future. And it's worth pausing and reflecting at this point. What the Israelites had big and scary things in their future, things in their life that they wanted to turn away from. Are there big and scary things in your life, in your world, that is causing you to lose faith? Are you afraid of being exposed at work for the beliefs you hold? You are so intolerant if you believe that. Is the giant, the the corporations that have progressive agendas... You'll never work here if you think like that. Is it what your children will think if you continue to follow and teach what God says? Or are you afraid that you, what you'll miss out on if you follow Jesus? They're all rational fears without the Lord. And just like those fears, Israel's fear of the giants in the land and their cities were founded if God wasn't with them. But these fears are completely unfounded if the God of the universe, the God who has saved them, is with them. Well, let's see how they respond to, uh, to this giant fear. We're going to go have a look now at verse, uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14. And sadly, they ignore what Caleb says. And react to the other, what the others report. They look at what's, what they must do. And they think there's no hope for them. No chance of victory. And so their spiritual strength crumbles. 
And what the whole community says next is a complete rejection of the redemption that God has won for them. And so at the start of chapter 14, they say, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? See what they're doing here? They're questioning God's power and they're questioning God's goodness. Question God's power, you know, they assume that God doesn't have the, the power to bring them victory. They're just thinking about what they can do. And they're questioning God's goodness. They go, hang on, I don't, why is God leading us here to die? They think God is actually out to get them. Going on, they say, our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Fair fear. But wouldn't it, so wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Hear what they're saying? They want to go back. They would rather return to a life of slavery, harsh slavery, than trust in the God who saved them. They'd rather be oppressed by a foreign ruler than accept and obey the word of God. They want their redemption to be undone. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. As in, we should choose someone other than God to be our leader. Other than God's appointed leader, Moses. God has led them to their death, death, uh, death they thought, I can't say. <laughs> They've led them to die, they thought. <laughs> so let's choose a leader who will lead us to life instead. Well, that's a picture of sin, isn't it? picture of sin. Sin often involves questioning God's good intentions for you, desiring to go back to your former life and rejecting God's rule and letting someone else rule over you. I remember, I remember a woman who, uh, who responded to Jesus in high school. She knew the great promises of God. Uh, but then later in life, much later in life, she rejected God and she was so bitter. She hated that she lived as a Christian while at uni and into her early 20s. She was so bitter because she feels like she missed out on all the pleasures of life at that stage. She didn't want God and his ways. She wanted to go back to a life without God. Well, here is Israel on the verge of their receiving their inheritance, on the verge of living in a land flowing with milk and honey. The promises of God were about to be fulfilled in them. But instead, out of fear, they turned their backs on God and his blessings. But there was another way for them. Caleb, one of the spies, along with another spy, Joshua, he said to the Israelites, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It will be worth it. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. See, it's God is going to do this. Don't look at what you can do. You can't do it. God can. Only do not rebel against the Lord. 
and do not be afraid of the people of this land because they because because we will devour them their protection is gone but the lord is with us do not be afraid of them so notice Caleb doesn't say oh don't be so don't be so afraid that's nothing it's not that bad no he he the reports are saying the land is good the enemies are strong but he's saying the lord is with them you know they're standing information around the tabernacle where god is is dwelling with them he has brought them this far they've seen the wonders of god in egypt victory is assured they just need to trust him so can i remind you brothers and sisters particularly if you're going through a period of discouragement or hesitation in your faith or fear you are on the winning team with god the world and all it promises will ultimately be devoured it has its shiny tech and its inclusive statements and its beautiful people but if the lord is with us we don't need to be afraid of them the lord is with us the lord was with israel but they were still afraid and they rebel they want to stone Caleb and Joshua they want to get rid of them and then the lord appears at the tent of meeting and he rightly unsurprisingly he rightly diagnoses their hearts the lord said to moses how long will these people treat me with contempt how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs i have performed among them the israelites despise god now they hate him that they've led them there and they refused to believe in god they refused uh, refused to put their trust in him their faith in him they would rather go their own way choose their own leaders make their own decisions and to put their trust in god it's outright apostasy turning from the living god we see this in the world all the time don't we people treating god and his ways with contempt you know it's a mark of pride for some people to despise god's ways they refuse to put god's faith in them why would i do that well we should expect that from our world because they don't know the glory of god but we shouldn't expect it from god's people here those that know the lord and have seen him in action and now they've given god a dilemma they've given god a dilemma God's character all that God's revealed of him is love and mercy and holiness and justice. So now with all of Israel turning from him, how can he remain faithful to his covenant promises without compromising his integrity? God finds a way. I'm sure I couldn't find a way. If I was in God's shoes, I would either cave in and just let them off, or I'd be completely unmerciful and condemn them. If uh, if my parenting uh, skills are any indication, I get justice wrong all the time. But God doesn't. He can't just let them off. 
They've committed apostasy. They've, they've thoroughly rejected him. They've treated him with contempt. How would he be holy if he just let them off? And yet he's committed to these people. He's promised to these people. How will he keep his promise to Abraham to bless them? Well, as we heard in the reading, there's some negotiation with Moses, which I'll leave you to look at another time. But here's the Lord's verdict. Skip down to verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you, Moses, asked. So God shows mercy by not striking them down there and then. He shows mercy, but sin still has consequences. Oops, nevertheless, uh, reading on. As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. So all those who saw God's glory in Egypt, all the wonders of the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and bringing uh, manna from heaven, they've all despised God now. And so the consequence is they will not enter the promised land. Sorry, I hope you you heard that when I didn't flick over. Uh, They will not experience what God promises their ancestors. They're to turn back, return to the Red Sea towards Egypt. And in this punishment, God is giving them what they want. They said, oh, if we only died in this wilderness... God says, you will die in this wilderness. The Israelites didn't want to go into the promised land for fear. God said, okay, I will take you back. I'll take you away from the promised land. God is always completely fair. If you want a life without God and his blessings, he will give you what you want. If you reject God... And his word in this life, he will give you what you want in the next. And God continues to be fair with us today. You know, if we choose to sin, you know the gospel, there is always forgiveness to be found in Christ Jesus. But even in that forgiveness, that there are consequences for sin. That's how God has made the world. And so if you choose to be someone who just is happy to bend the truth in reporting season or with, uh, with those above you at work, then don't be surprised if the consequence is you're not trusted by those around you. Or if you treat, if you treat your marriage with contempt and do something like commit adultery then don't expect your marriage to survive. It might, but that would be uh, a natural consequence. 
all who were counted back in the census back then in chapter 1, all these people will die in the wilderness. They treated God with contempt. They didn't want the promised land. What should they expect? They didn't have faith in God's word to them, so they will perish in the wilderness. And yet, God is proven to be faithful and gracious to his promises. He commits to bringing the next generation into the promised land. That's why if you keep reading through in Numbers, you'll have another census like this. In Numbers 26, another census is taken. This was of the first generation that came out of Egypt. The next census is the next generation after this generation had died. They were the ones that will go into the promised land. Israel's faithlessness should have meant God could have thrown away the covenant. He would have been right to do that. But God forgave them as a people. He had mercy on them. And the descendants of this generation will enter the promised land and receive God's covenant blessing, as well as Caleb and Joshua. Because they stayed faithful to the Lord, despite the fear of the people, peoples in Canaan. It says of Joshua, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, follows me wholeheartedly. He did not treat God with contempt. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Uh, one of the great Aussie theologians, Colin Buchanan, we sang one of his songs already in church, he has a song about Caleb, uh, which I won't sing for you, but I'll read it to you. He sings, who's going to be a Caleb? Who's going to make a stand? Who's going to be a Caleb when there's giants in the land, ready for battle, to take God at his word? Who's going to be a Caleb and stand up for the Lord? What a challenge for us, to stand up for the Lord like Caleb to trust God's word and to obey it, to not be afraid of the giants in our lives. What a challenge for us. But through the week, I've come to realize that I am too prone to unbelief. I'm too prone to not listening, to failing to trust God at his word. And so I actually need a Caleb in my life to follow who will stand up to the giants that I face, who will lead me into God's promises. And so turning back to the book of Hebrews, it's clear that you can only enter into God's promises through the Lord Jesus Christ. If it was on our own strength, we're too afraid, we're too weak. But through the Lord Jesus, we can enter God's promises. He is the great Caleb who knows Uh, He knows the danger of, uh, so he knows what it is to obey God at his word. He knows what it is to trust him, even to death on the cross. And because of his faithfulness, then he has conquered the great giant of sin for us on the cross. And he has defeated the great giant of death by rising from the dead. And so instead of turning away from the living God, we are to have believing hearts 
believing not in ourselves but in Jesus. He is our warrior who wins the battle for us. And so as it says here, let us encourage one another daily to keep trusting Jesus. Not looking at the enemies, not not fearing the enemies, but also not looking to our own strength, but trusting Jesus to keep obedient to his word, to turn away from sin rather than let it harden us. That is what God is saying to us today. And we're going to do that as a church now. We're going to confess our sin, put our trust in Jesus and rejoice in God's forgiveness. Let's lead it, Tim.